Amy, on this podcast, we try to always offer useful takeaways. And if you learn nothing else from us, learn this useful parenting lesson by Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 are the ultimate parent hack, the best diaper to use as soon as your baby starts standing or walking. Instead of ordinary diaper tabs, they have a unique 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your wild child. Pampers Cruisers 360 makes it so easy to change your baby. Who probably doesn't stop moving just because they need a diaper changed? Just slide on to apply and away they go. And fear not, parents. Pampers Cruisers 360 offers an up to 100% leak-free fit, and they just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we say more? For Trusted Protection Trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupons, savings, and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Today's guest is Kate Bowler, who is an associate professor of the history of Christianity in North America at Duke Divinity School. She is the author of Blessed, A History of the American Prosperity Gospel, the New York Times bestselling memoir, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved, and The Preacher's Wife, The Precarious Power of Evangelical Women Celebrities. She lives in Durham, North Carolina with her husband, Tobin and son, Zach. Her new book is No Cure for Being Human, which is in stores now. Welcome, Kate. Oh, my goodness. So good to be here. So nice to have you. So I loved this book. Take us to the beginning of this book. It begins with a diagnosis. Yeah, I was 35. And I was trying very hard to live a relatively shiny life. I mean, for academia, which is mostly just our deep and abiding love of gargoyles or <laughs> wine and cheese functions. But yes. It's a self-contained shiny life where anyone from the outside is like, why are those people fighting why? about that minutia? But <laughs> too many footnotes in that dream. Yes. But that was, it was, yeah, it was my dream job to work at Duke and to be able to kind of finally do what I loved. And then I had a very sudden stage four cancer diagnosis, just absolutely out of nowhere. And that was kind of the beginning of my realization that it is a strange thing to suffer in general, but to suffer in America is kind of its own thing where my suffering all of a sudden became like a problem that people were trying to solve. It's so interesting. And it it reminded me of so many things, this book. One of the things we talk about on the podcast is being oldie locks because Amy and I are, you know, let's say approaching middle age. <laughs> and I feel I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine who lost her husband to cancer in his 40s. And I was saying, you know, as older people who have been through really difficult things that do come like lightning bolts. Yeah. I feel like we get a little Cassandra-y sometimes. Like you kind of want to go around and shake strangers on the street and be like, it doesn't just work out for good people, by the way. Like I see you following all the rules and you could get hit by lightning any day now. Yeah. And it's a balance between wanting to share that knowledge that like the curtain, the scales have fallen from your eyes. Yes, that's right. 
but also kind of not wanting to, as my husband says, be the person at cocktail parties who's like, oh, a friend of mine died just out of the blue. We never saw it coming. He's like, we don't want to be that person, please. Oh my gosh. I always feel like that person. And I I mean, I honestly can't even believe that the publisher lets me title things with depressing things like no cure to being human. I'm like, is that okay? Is that all right to say? And I think, but I think it is an important perspective. So talk a little bit about that perspective for you and how you balance. So your condition now, you have a chronic diagnosis, correct? Yeah, I'm just kind of sometimes a survivor, sometimes cancery, you know, just sort of, I'm never on the super highway of health. I'm on sort of the rough adjacent <laughs> road where I can like see that other people's trips seem to be going really well. Right. And you're like above them on a balancing act being like, uh, hello, <laughs> just getting through the day up here. And it is like, you're right. It's that kind of balance of wanting to just look at really lucky people and just say, bless you. And try to say, I'm so happy for you, but not in a sarcastic way. We're like, <laughs> my best friend and I started doing that for a bit. We're like, I'm so happy for you. You got to go backstage with the band again. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> this is my husband is from Texas. And the Texas phrase for this is, well, bless your heart. <laughs> and it just means like, I hate you deeply, but I'm going to say bless your heart instead. <laughs> That's right. I think the bit that's, I don't know, well, I think a couple of things need sort of a, like a re-education for all of us, which is just to allow ourselves to feel a little less embarrassed by mm. saying true things out loud. Like, yeah, I have a situation that might never get better. And without seeing the overwhelming discomfort on people's faces that they can't, that you have a problem that might not be fixable. You're like, I was about to enjoy my cheese puff <laughs> and now you've really kind of taken me down. But they're, they rush in with the explanation, the, like, I'm a historian of self-help. So all I hear is the kind of religion of self-help. I hear it when I'm on my Peloton bike, when everyone's telling me that the answer is found within and that I, Kate Bowler, can conquer all things at 6 a.m with this workout. I mean, I can't go it. I get it in the business literature section when I'm just trying to figure out how to run a meeting. It turns out that I, Kate Bowler, can master some hustle and the ganda, and I am an invincible conqueror. And how, why haven't I figured that out by now? And then I get it every time I'm like near the, in a Whole Foods, where apparently I'm supposed to be supplementing myself and smoothing myself whole. It's exactly right. And one of the things that we do on the podcast is talk to people with a range of different experiences. And there is a tremendous parallel to everything you talk about in this book to motherhood, mm -hmm. to the various aspects of motherhood, and not to diminish your the uniqueness and the specificness of your experience. But so many of the things in the book resonated. And that thing of like, you can do it. And there's a great meme on Facebook that's like a mom. And it's like, you can do it. She's like, I just need a rest. Look at you doing it you know, boss mom. And she's like, no, 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 I'm very tired. And it's like, you go. And, and it's just such a perfect meme for this same kind of thing where like, life is kind of punching you in the face and everyone around you seems to be reacting by being like, just get up and be your best self. And you're like, what if I just lie down instead? Yeah. And just like being pummeled in the face with motivation. Yeah. And I think the heart of it is the same thing, which is like, we don't really want to admit that like being a mom is not the greatest thing. Yeah. We don't really want to admit that like 35 year old nice women get diagnosed with terrible diseases like yeah. that to let go of our like you can do it and you've got this girl 
yeah. attitude, it would involve facing some things that I think are really hard for us to face. That's right. I think that script we have, at least I had about motherhood, was a story about invincibility. It was a story about endless resources. And then all of a sudden, when my life was scary and finite, I could just see that all of that seemed absolutely incompatible with the vision I had about what a mom was supposed to be. Right. And has it affected you as a mom? How does it inform? I mean, the book is so much about this. It seems like such a serious diagnosis, it can trap you in that place of, well, now I have to make every day special, which again, there's a parallel to being a mom, right? That's somehow our job to make every day special and memorable, and you'll miss these days, and it goes by so fast. Or to just sort of take the time you need to actually be really sad about what's happening to you. Yeah. But then like, wait, am I robbing time from my kid who I'm supposed to be carpe dieming with every second. And how do you reconcile those? Yeah. I guess the first thing was trying to figure out if me having a scary situation made me the bad thing. Hmm. I mean, I was so people's, you know, you have like the crisis friends who are like so wonderful and the kind of like, oh, something's happening. Like I need to rush in. And then there's the kind of people you need to like walk with you on the long journey, (laughs) the longer significantly more boring road yes. <laughs> and, uh, where you just have problems and then you have email and then you need groceries and then you need a babysitter, like just those, that kind of road. And I guess the first thing I was trying to just solve in my mind is if pain can't always be overcome, then does it mean that I'm a bad mom? If my pain is also the thing that's happening to everybody else, like my pain, mm. you know, dwindles our financial resources and puts me out of commission for long stretches or, and so part of the, I didn't realize how embarrassed I felt that I couldn't fix my own problems because it felt like I was supposed to mm. like marshal superhuman. <laughs> like I used to do this thing every week where as I had to travel I was doing sort of active cancer treatment for two years. And for that first year, I had to travel every single week and get up first thing in the morning. And I mean, at 3.45 a.m., listen to a terrible NPR program about the periodic table of elements, where it was always like... (laughs) Okay, you didn't have to do that part. You didn't have to do that part. You could have put on some pop music. Come on now. (laughs) Yeah, well, then how would I hear the words next week? It's boron. And like, really, really question. Like, how do they think this show is going to last? But I would, I'd get back at midnight and I felt such an overwhelming pressure to get up again at 6 a.m. the next day to like be the super mom the second that as if there's like a 24 hour reset button on a day where it's like, oh, you got right. Wednesday, but now it's Thursday. Sorry, guess you're back in the mix. So I definitely have just accepting the limitations as even a category in motherhood felt like the first kind of hard mental thing. And that's something that is just so resonant for all people, right? For all moms, that feeling I think of, I'm failing at this job for whatever their reason is. And like, I have to go to work and I wish I was home. I have to stay home and I wish I was at work. Like that feeling of, there's something very interesting in your story about this idea of presentness and what that looks like and trying to hold on to that. And I think that that's something for moms that is, it feels constantly kind of elusive. And then you pile in, you talk about this like best life now paradigm and the kind of carpe diem version of it. 
and how that gets in the way of this and how do you fight that? Totally. I That reminds me of the moment in which I always felt the guiltiest was when I was on my way home from that those long medical travel days. And I was always taking a Southwest flight where my gate was right next to the gate that would take all the families to Disneyland. Oh, that's bad planning by Southwest for you. <laughs> no, it was Disney World. I was always just sitting there watching these families all decked out in mouse ears. And I imagined that they were about to have all of these family adventures that I felt totally cut off from. And it was the only time where I felt like, honestly, I felt like despair. Like everybody else gets to have these magical families and I'm making my family the sad sack family. And then one day I looked over and I saw these two boys who were just pissing each other off and like running around in a circle. And for a little bit, it was cute. And then they started absolutely driving. Their mom was fine. They were driving their dad absolutely bonkers. <laughs> and to one point, I saw him stand up, whip around to where his kids were. He picked up his mouse ears. <laughs> he threw them on the airport floor. And he was like, we are going to make some family memories, dang it. <laughs> like, the rage brought me just tears or like tears of joy just streaming down my face as I realized as in that moment, I was free from the tyranny of Disney World. Oh my God. You're like, and scene. We are talking to Kate Bowler, the author of No Cure for Being Human, and we will be right back. Margaret, exciting news. I am about to have a new baby nephew. And believe it or not, this will be my 13th Nephew. Amy, you're ready to give up your amateur status. You're a pro aunt at this <laughs> yes. point. Our family has seen a lot of babies. And as soon as they start standing or walking, I send them all a whole lot of Pampers Cruisers 360. Pampers Cruisers 360 don't have ordinary diaper tabs. Instead, they have a unique 360 degree stretchy waistband that moves with your newly mobile little one. Pampers Cruisers 360 offer a gap-free fit that is up to 100% leak-proof, crucial once your baby is quite literally up and at them. And that gap-free fit helps prevent your baby from taking off their diaper, a habit you do not want them to get into. You can say that again. And Pampers Cruisers 360 just got even better with a new blowout barrier. Need we even elaborate on the need for that, friends? For trusted protection trust pampers the number one pediatrician recommended brand download the pampers club app today and earn pampers cash then redeem your pampers cash for exclusive pampers coupon savings and rewards only redeemable via pampers club pampers cash has no cash value amy you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to 
croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, we're back. So I have a parallel for you. We had a recent guest who was Amanda Knox, who was uh, unjustly accused of murder in Italy and spent four years in prison before being freed. And she's home now. And she has a podcast and she talks about the concept of labyrinths and the resonance of this metaphor of like the labyrinth that you're lost in it, that like maybe there's an exit that leads towards happiness, but maybe there's a turn where you get eaten by a minotaur. Like, and then this idea of like you make a wrong turn sometimes and you run into a wall way down your path and you have to come back and start again. And you're like, how can this be happening? And that one of the parallels, and you talked about this in the book, and it's something I don't think people talk about enough is she was talking a lot about how the optimism of some of the people in her life was very hard for her. That at a certain point, she had been convicted. She was due to spend 29 years in prison and that her mom was like, it's going to be fine. We're going to fix it. We're going to fix it. And that at a certain point, she wanted to say to her mom, I have to make this life work. I don't want to keep looking for the life that is fine. Yeah. And as it turned out, she was exonerated and it, it did work out. But you talk about that in your book as well. This thing of like people in your life coming in, this inflexible optimism that comes in with people. And I think that's something that happens with a lot of us is, again, as moms, like, talk a little bit about how that's played out for you, that feeling of optimism, your need to accept the situation you're in, but also kind of keep your people happy and feeling that you're okay. That's something that we do a lot as moms. Yeah, that's right. And that was kind of like a, it's both like an intellectual and kind of an emotional experience for me because I have written a lot about the history of the idea that we have to be positive all the time. And Mm. why is it that we're as a culture where we just have this positivity bias where we have to, we force one another to say it's all going to be fine. And part of that is just sort of like the loving instincts or sometimes denial of reality that we go through when we're experiencing shock or grief. But a lot of it is it has just a long American history of believing that our minds are more powerful than they are. That if we just train our minds to think certain things, that's why people are always talking about good vibes or manifesting. Put it out in the universe. Yeah, it'll come back to you. Yeah. (laughs) Putting it out in the universe. People, Guys, we're not sure that works as it turns out. I'm sorry. Yes, it Just I can point you to a very gentle history that says that it is in fact an idea made up in the late 19th century. (laughs) But it is like a theory about how it's a spiritual theory, really, about how the mind is like this super powerful engine and the things you say or think or imagine that once they become words, that it transforms thought into reality. And so, you know, I've written about the history of that for like a decade. And yet I find myself trapped in this positivity vortex where everywhere I look, people are telling me that I need to have the right attitude in order to be like the good, the good triumphing cancer patient that I need to, 
that like being honest about things is actually complaining when actually it's just being honest about things. Or like even like when you go into the hospital, they give you like how much pain are you in on a scale from one to 10. And even in that moment, because they give you a scale where you're supposed to say like, oh, I'm experiencing like a six. I've had people in that moment like I'm thinking of one nurse in particular, be like, oh, well, at least you're here now. And I was like, no, 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 no. This is the one place. This is the one place I'm supposed to be able to give this answer. And then all kinds of religious people who just want me to have a very positive faith. And then there's just all the people I love who it sounds like Amanda experienced People look at you and it's sometimes it's just the sheer force of their love that looks at you and says, it is impossible to me that you will not be okay, Yes, is what they're yes. saying. And it makes them, it just kind of puts up this plexiglass between you and them where you're trying to say something like, I need to live in the world that is. Yes. And someday, I, and I need to then accept the world as it is. And I'm not ready to love the world as it is, but I see that's the direction. It's in some place I need to move into. But optimism often prevents us from being honest, and then it prevents us from even just having the kind of courage that we need to face down the day in the life we have. That's right. She said during that conversation, I want to work with the hope that is available to me, not just to hope. And that that difference, and I think for those of us who are struggling in marriage, have a kid with special needs, have a very difficult financial situation while we're trying to raise our kids, that there is that sort of, I think everyone knows the sensation that you talked about earlier of standing on the side of the happiness highway and everyone's just breezing past you. And you're like, why am I stuck in the depth of despair when every other human being on earth is on the happiness highway? Yeah. I love that you had added the name of the highway. (laughs) I like the happiness. It's just so true. The happiness highway is uh, carrying everybody to a better future. And even that whole paradigm of best life now, right? It's a phrase that was coined in 2004 by a televangelist, by one of the prosperity preachers that I study. And prosperity preachers preach that if you're positive, if you have the right kind of faith, that God is going to reward you with health and wealth and happiness. And then all of a sudden, Everybody started saying that to describe that feeling you get that you're making yourself the right kind of person so that the right kind of things happen to you. That's right. And then, you know, unfortunately, when you're kind of in the, you're not in a best life now place, you're in an okayest life now place or even the worst life now place, then you feel like you've sort of been like your citizenship for this country has been unceremoniously taken away. Right. Because suddenly you're an alien. Like it's not just that you're having a hard time. It's that you're a different type of person than other people. That's right. I'm the tragic kind for sure. I'm the tragic kind. I'm the kind it didn't work out from. I'm the kind who's not just doing it Nike swooshing like everyone on Instagram. That's right. And I, I remember that feeling. I was like, wow, no, one second ago, I was just me. I was allowed to complain about ordinary things and I was allowed to get groceries or be petty or waste my own time which is such a fun and lovely thing to do. Right. Listen, Candy Crush is the best. I don't care what's going on in your life. You got to play some Candy Crush. But yeah, (laughs) right. Like you're not going to seize every moment of every day in the same way, lady at the supermarket. I'm not going to enjoy every minute with my three kids under four who are very, very annoying. Yeah, I think that like one wonderful parallel between 
motherhood and kind of the like breakdown of that paradigm is the limits of one of the most common cultural scripts that we get is the be present mindset paradigm that if you're the right kind of person, you're going to be the kind of person who doesn't look to the past and the fact that you haven't gotten any sleep and doesn't look to the future, which has a a teacher student meeting that's going to go very badly. It's just, (laughs) it allows today to be the joy and the Instagram hope you always, you always dreamed of. And I mean, the idea of learning to be present for me, I, I started trying to think of like what things transform minutes into moments. And for me, I have this my kid just, he smells really good and he has this massively oversized head and he has giant googly <laughs> fish eyes and he's really evil in the best way. And like the surrealness at which he operates has always like really helped me slow down out of cancer mode. I always found that I was mm. like the cure for my terrible day was usually just smelling his head for a bit, you know, a couple minutes and then, mm. and then just letting the rest of motherhood take over. But that always kind of helped me shift gears. But the problem is I can't turn all my minutes into moments. Some minutes are just minutes. Yeah. I would say most minutes are just minutes. Yes. With the strain and wear and pain of just like being a human being. Yes. Hashtag agree. All right. We'll be right back with Kate Bola. <laughs> more and more you hear about the importance of electrolytes as part of staying hydrated because you need the sodium and the potassium, not just the water. And whether you're looking to hydrate during a workout while traveling or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing and without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. They're little packets you can just grab and take with you to mix into your water bottle on the go. My favorite flavor so far, Amy, gotta be the cherry pomegranate. Interesting. My high schooler likes the lemon lime, and she keeps a few handy in her backpack for days that she has practiced after school. These electrolytes have the sodium and the potassium that you need to go with it in the optimal ratio for daily hydration. Visit sportsresearch.com and use code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's sportsresearch, S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate electrolytes order. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get $100 off your lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. We are talking to Kate Buller, the author of No Cure for Being Human and 
one of the things that you touch on in the book that we talk a lot about on the podcast is like the misperception of life. We talk about it as it's hallways, not doors. That we always say, you know, you think there's a door that's like being a mom and you're going to walk through the door and on the other side of it is motherhood. Yeah. And you think that you're going to become an adult, you talk about, like you say, becoming an adult is something that happens after college. Yeah. And I think being diagnosed with cancer obviously has been the same way, right? It's not like a door you walk through and on the other side is this other life. We're all kind of just wending, maybe it's the labyrinths again, like wending through these pathways and then you suddenly sort of turn around and you're like, oh, here I am in this place. And I like that idea of how, talk a little bit about for you, that idea of becoming an adult was the time after college. And that's what it was. Yeah, sure. I was positive that, you know, somehow at some point when you graduate from anything, that you achieve a kind of mental certainty. And that mental certainty is like, that's going to take you all the way to the end. That is a train with two stops. (laughs) You get on. Congratulations. Retirement. Choo-choo. You have arrived at good life. Yeah, I hope you... (laughs) And I remember thinking that. Please stand clear of the closing doors. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Mind the gap, for sure. (laughs) And I remember thinking that first when I had this absolutely adorable math teacher, Mr. Booth, who used to wear a lab coat, just a full lab coat every day, just as a math teacher. It took me forever to, to realize that that was optional and math teachers... Weren't sort of (laughs) surgeons or... This wasn't required. Didn't require the kind of... uh, Turns out that he used it to um, wipe off the entire chalkboard with his body, which I thought it was just a quirk. And turns out he was doing it honestly just to make (laughs) himself laugh. And I was so bad at math. And he was always the guy who would lean out into the hallway and yell things like, a B minus isn't the death of your dreams, bowler, which brought (laughs) me no joy. But when I looked at him, I thought, this is what adulthood looks like. You pick a thing and then you are, you live in this one flat plot line forever. And, you know, when he had written me these recommendation letters to help me get into a college, and then when I found out that he had used my little thank you postcard that I sent to him from college as his own recommendation letter to travel around the world after uh, just to live a different life, I thought, oh, wait a minute. Adulthood is like a revolving mm. door of a million that'll get off on a, in a, in a, in a, on a million as if it had a million different floors. And when he died so soon after... It was kind of a first early shock to me that worlds can be made and then worlds can suddenly end. And that part of maybe learning to be an adult is to have less certainty, a lot less certainty about whether any single path takes you anywhere and realizing like this is going to be a reinvention project at every level at any and mostly by things that I'm not going to pick. Right. This is a lot of the focus of the book is this idea of choices that we think that it's the lady and the tiger that you come to a point of life and here are six doors. Do I want to choose this, 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 or this? And I don't know what the reverse metaphor is. It's like just baseballs being thrown at you from the sky. I don't know, but it's definitely not a series (laughs) of choices. And it's definitely, and this is, I think, especially those of us who maybe grew up in happy homes and had some privilege growing up that we kind of feel like we're just on this inertia journey of, well, good things happen to good people. 
P.S. That's me, you know? (laughs) And that for some people, it can be even more shocking when the cold water comes and and you just feel like, wait a minute, this wasn't, I chose the happiness, marriage, and happy kids door. So what am I doing lost in this other hallway? And I think that sounds so right to me. I wish I had known you before, before <laughs> when uh, this this realization was less would be slightly less painful. Well, unfortunately, I'm old now. But the only good thing about being old is that you've had all, a lot of the revelations. <laughs> I guess one of the other things I didn't realize is that when you're dreaming, like when you're just over the course of life, we just pick up all these random dreams and we don't always realize that they were never, well, not never, but not necessarily going to come true. Like, was I ever going to be an Egyptologist? I mean, was that really a plan? That Did I even ever take a course in archaeology? <laughs> I mean, that would have been a good step, probably. <laughs> was I ever going to meet Anne of Green Gables on Prince Edward Island, who it turns out is just a fictitious character? Like That the- was probably a no. And to end yet, (laughs) I had a lot of aspirations, but I, the dreaminess is just a part of living and and you just pick up these little things you didn't realize that you were hoping for. And I think one of the things that surprised me maybe most about kind of living in a post-cancer life is meeting and looking around and realizing that caregiving like forfeiting often, deferring your dreams for other people is as much a part of living as anything else. Like at the beginning of life, at the end of life, in the middle that we're in these long stretches where our dreams are like good for us. We can, <laughs> this is got to be a rich fantasy life at that point. And in a culture in which we're always told that we should be like, that being a person is about achieving your dreams. And sometimes it's just like carrying the weight of other people's hopes. Yeah. It's interesting. And I think the kind of Instagram, social media life of like everybody that the goal is to be the center of attention. Yeah. A problem I suffer from personally. I am not just (laughs) pointing at others, but like this quiet drudgery of service that we maybe sometimes are stuck in when we're caring for our kids or caring for our aging parents. Yeah. It feels like. I need to get back to my real life. Yeah. And oh, unfortunately, this is real life. That's right. This part is is real life too. I think the in that version, motherhood was has been really it, one of the things that was really nice about it for me was that it gave me another person to be, that it wasn't just mm. kind of an endlessly tragic person. So like sometimes just the changing diapers and the watching him in the bath and the mundaneness of that really did kind of kick me out of my own problem because then I got to care about the problem of somebody else. Mm. And that was really a gift for me because I, it felt good to have somebody need me, not pity me, like think that I, you know, had something to give in a day in which I was just like, when I just wasn't sure. Yeah. One thing I want to get to before we wrap is this idea. This quote really jumped out at me. And I've heard versions of it before, but it was beautifully said. Talking to a psychologist in the beginning, I think, of your diagnosis, who said to you, this, it was a lesson learned on the Appalachian Trail from hikers. This will be a hard journey. Is there anything you can put down? And can you talk a little bit about that moment and what that means, not only to you, to, but to anybody who's listening, who's in the middle of really hard things? I was so scared of what, like, honestly, I think this is what pain brings up in us. What if I can't do this? 
Like, what if this is genuinely too hard and I choose wrong and I don't know how to, I don't know how to make all these choices. I have one of those adorable psychologists that refuses to give advice. And I was like, nope, that season is over. You're giving advice because my love is unbearable. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Going to need a life raft here, dude. (laughs) So so he was describing that when he met people who'd hiked the 2,200 miles of the Appalachian Trail, that they, especially at the beginning, that they overpacked, that the fear of how long and hard it was going to be, the fear of not knowing what was going to happen and the uncertainty made them bring the extra blanket and the granola bars and the, but the, you know, all the stuff, but then their pack was too heavy. And that the very first stop was the just stopping was one of the most important things to do is to pause for a second and say, look, this road is going to be really long and it is going to be too hard. Is there anything that you can put down? And that was so helpful for me to hear that it wasn't that the road wasn't going to be hard because don't lie to me. And it wasn't that I might need all those things. Of course, I might need them. I don't know what the future is going to hold, but that I cannot live in might. I had to live in right now. Are there any extra expectations I have to be invincible? Can I give myself a little more permission to be delicate? Can I ask for a little bit more help? then I am comfortable with my personality asking for. (laughs) And so like surrendering some and like, is there any control I can give up that I would prefer to have? It's usually not that like, it's anything obvious. It's usually that our personalities and our experiences of how hard things are being make it really hard to just like, know how to take those next steps. So I've loved being talked out of my extra burdens. It's something I I need from the people who love me best. And that is something that everyone listening to this podcast needs. What can you put down? That's a great thing to talk about with your mom friends. Hey, let's have a night where we all just sit around the fire pit or get on a Zoom and talk to each other about what what can we put down? And friends, you will love this book. It is called No Cure for Being Human. It starts at this place of this very awful diagnosis, but it is filled with the kind of lessons that moms need to hear. Just, it's one of those books, Have like Amy says, have your highlighter in your hand because you're going to be highlighting, highlighting away. I have like 400 more quotes that we haven't even gotten to discuss. So everyone read the book. And Kate, tell us a little bit more about you, where we can find you, people who want to hear more from you. Oh, sure. Well, I'm on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Kate C. Bowler. And I love to just kind of have gentle things for people going just who are not sure that, you know, the next road is going to be easy and need a little bit of encouragement. So I typically just want to sort of bless the crap out of people. And that's just, so that's, <laughs> I also have a podcast called Everything Happens, where we talk to people about their befores and their afters, and mostly just like, try to be a little more loving with our delicate selves. So yeah, come find me there. Love it. Kate, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks for coming on. Me too. Thanks for doing this. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. 
I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.